And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty and won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, Go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem's the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You're worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming, in fact, it has. When you have called, what you're called will not matter, and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking out for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, and adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming, though. And when He arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am He, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. And just then his disciples came back and they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. And in her confusion, she left her water pot. And back in the village, she told the people, Come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. Almighty Father, may these words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. You know, uh, it's actually about this time every year when our confirmants come visit the pastors for interviews. Uh, some of y'all have probably been in that, that situation before, whether you were a parent with your child or you're a confirmand. And uh, Aaron and I were in there, if we all three of us are in there in a meeting with Andy, we all have this little inside joke that somehow he's going to be able to connect someone he knows in the Delta to this family without fail. And we don't know how he does it, but he does it. We just said he's going to connect himself to this family through someone in the Delta, through his time in the Delta, and it works every single time. It's kind of like those five points to Kevin Bacon. You can always find your way. So, you know, so five points to the Delta. So it was out fail. And, uh, and if you're around Andy long enough, also you might realize you have a distant cousin that's a distant cousin of his and Boca Chitta somehow. And, you know, it's even rumored that somehow those two right there, they're cousins. Now one won't admit it. One won't admit it. But I told him, I said, I told the staff one day, I said, for Christmas, I'm going to get them a 23 of me. And we're going we're gonna to trace back their family trees. And there's going to be a branch somewhere up in there. You better, you better take all your cups with you. I might be taking them and swabbing them. Just, just watch out. He leaves his stuff everywhere. He's easy. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, it's always fun to, to probably do that. You know, I don't know if y'all have ever done it. I want to do it one day. You know, you just trace your family tree and see where you've come from, where your ancestors traveled, you know, what parts of the world you've your, your family's been, really. And it's really a neat, neat thing to do and neat thing we have. 
And it also kind of is, well, it is reflected in, our, in the makeup of our country. Every human being that's here in the United States, their ancestors immigrated here at some point or the other, at some time in the, in the past. Uh, you can go all the way back to even the Native Americans 12,000 years ago as hunters and gatherers following the woolly mammoths across the land bridge in Alaska, making their way all the way through. This was a new world to them. They were the first ones to discover this world. And they settled down and, and set up their civilizations. And then you had, people always like to forget about these folks, but you had the Vikings, okay? They even did some travels up there near Greenland, Canada, and even some, you can see some settlements in the New England area still. So they ventured their way on down about 1,000 A.D., and then the floodgates opened up with Columbus. And this part of the world has never been the same since. Since he stumbled across this place, you had countries in Europe send their explorers and conquistadors on over, all the way from France, Spain, Germany, the English, the Dutch, the Swedish. I mean, just about anybody came on over to this new world to see what it's all about. All for different reasons. Some were for economic gain, to grow crops and sell them around the world. Some were to find that local stash of gold somewhere or the fountain of youth. There are many reasons why people came on over to the new world to settle it. And then there's even the darker history that some peoples came to this world not by choice. That they were enslaved and brought over on boats at the will of other folks and were forced to live in horrible conditions and then had to fight for freedom and then had to fight for civil rights and equal rights in the land that is called home. Everybody here has a history. Everybody's family tree started somewhere else and migrated here. And that is what makes up our nation today. You know, it used to be called a cultural melting pot, but it's not really a melting pot. It's more like a cultural mosaic. All the cultures here still stand out and hold on to their ancestral traditions and shine in certain moments, but yet we all work together in one beautiful picture. I even heard somebody call it one time, it's almost like a tossed salad, our country, instead of a, a melting pot. And it's something that makes us unique as Americans. But because of all of these different cultures living in a land that was not originally their own, you have conflicts that come into play at times, where different groups disagree with one another, or different groups are suppressing another group. But one thing that makes us unique and special is that we, we work it out. We, we always try to find a way to get everybody on equal holding. And sometimes it's not pretty. And sometimes it takes a very long time. And there's always work to do in that area. But this is not unique to just the United States. It's not unique to our country that we have all these different groups with different pasts living close by or living together trying to make it work out. When I think about our country, I also think about what it was like to live in the biblical times in the Middle East and all of those different cultural groups and different religions all right there, not really melting together, but standing out separate and special in their own way. And this is how it's kind of described with the Samaritans and the Jews. They have a rough past. It's said here in the, in the scripture that it was even shocking to see a Jew talking to a Samaritan. That they wouldn't even cross through the, the Samaritan territory. They would go the long way around to get to their destination if they're going to Judea and Galilee. They wouldn't go straight through. They'd go around because they didn't even want to step foot in their territory. But now all that started way back when you could look at King Solomon. You can trace it there. After he passed away, he had a son who wasn't a good ruler who caused conflicts in the United Kingdom of Israel, and then it split into a northern kingdom called Israel and southern kingdom called Judah. 
And they had constant conflict between the two groups. And Israel set up a new capital in Samaria. And eventually they were conquered by the Assyrians. And about 25,000 of their people, the Jews there, were taken off into captivity. And then the Assyrians put 25,000 other groups of people back in there to mix in with those that were left behind. And you had a new group of people called the Samaritans that had a Jewish background, but then were exposed to all these different other cultures and adapted their ways of life. And the Jews in Jerusalem despised that. They didn't like them. Well, as we all know what happens to the southern kingdom, they go into exile too at one point by another empire, Babylon. And then they're allowed to go back. And when they go back and they resettle their area, there's all these disagreements between the Samaritans and the Jews and where to worship. The Samaritans get their own temple. The Jews get their own temple. And they do some mean stuff to one another to the point where they don't even want to engage one another when we get to this point in Scripture. It's a tense situation. They were not even allowed to share things. Drinking from a Jew, drinking from a bucket that's the same as a Samaritan woman is almost like it was in the segregation days when whites and colored could not drink from the same water fountain. It was that way. And so you had this group of people here living next door to each other but not liking one another. And then we have Jesus who was told by God to go through this land. It says in Scripture he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. He could have walked around it. It would have taken longer, but all the other Jews walked around it. He didn't have to go unless it was by divine intervention that he had to go. God was telling him to go through that land. And when it got to the hottest part of the day, when he was thirsty, he came to the well to sit because he had an appointment with a woman and so you have the Samaritan woman coming to the well at the hottest time of the day. Most women would get water from the well early in the morning when it was cool or later in the evening. You only go when there's not a lot of folks there because you don't want to be seen. It's kind of like going to Kroger at 6.30 in the morning before the crowd gets there so you don't have to get dressed to go. You just run in real quick and run out. All right, You don't want to get seen by anybody. All right, and so here she is trying to not get to be seen by anybody. There's shame. We get this idea there's some type of shame upon her. Scripture tells us she has five husbands. We don't know why she had five husbands. It's not named. She could have been widowed five times. She could have been abandoned five times. Typically, women that aren't widowed but are abandoned are abandoned by their husbands because they couldn't bear children. She could have been barren. And so she was cast out from this community in which she lived because she couldn't even get water with them in the morning or in the evening. And so as she approaches this well, here's Jesus from his journey resting. His disciples went into town to go find some lunch. This woman took a risk coming up to this well with a stranger, with a strange man that she didn't know who it was. But she did. She came up to this man and he said, give me a drink. And then from that point, they have a very deep theological discussion. That's one thing that always stood out to me. She understood the idea of worship. And she understood the differences in the Jews and the Samaritans as she asked these theological questions to Jesus. And he was patiently correcting her and telling her the way in that moment. And see, Samaritans educated religiously their boys and their girls from an early age, which was different than the Jews who only educated the boys. So she was an educated Samaritan and understood the differences in their religions and understood that there is a Messiah coming at some point. And as you continue on in the story here between the woman and Jesus, you see as she's asking the questions here at Jacob's well, there's a lot of symbolism. 
In the Old Testament, a lot happens at wells. It's kind of like the focal meeting point for people. I mean, this is Jacob's well where he met Rachel. This is where relationships can begin, at the well. And you have a woman here who's been cast out from her society, who has shame brought upon her, who's probably lacking genuine relationships, having an appointment with Jesus at the well as he's inviting her into relationship with him, to getting to know the true way, the true living water. There's a lot that goes into that. And so there's more to the story, though, after they have their conversation. I didn't have you stand for the rest of the verses. There's a lot to stand for. But listen to what happens. We'll pick up here with verse 27. Just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were thinking, but their faces sure showed it. Because here's Jesus, who's not supposed to be talking to a woman, but it's a Samaritan woman on top of that in the middle of the day. It's a big shock to them. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her watering pot. Back in the village, she told the people, Come and see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out, and do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. In the meantime, the disciples pressed him, Rabbi, eat. Aren't you going to eat? And he told them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. The disciples were puzzled. Who could have brought them food? And Jesus said, The food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it'd be time to harvest? Well, I'll tell you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering in this grain that's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm of the harvester triumphant. That's the truth of the saying. This one who sows, that one who harvests, I sent you to harvest a field you never worked. Without lifting a finger, you have walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. Now many Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside and out, she said. They asked him to stay on. So Jesus stayed then for two more days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, You are no longer taking this on. We are no longer taking this on your say so. We have heard it for ourselves and know it for sure. He's the Savior of the world. And so we have here in this moment when the woman leaves Jesus and his disciples come back from getting lunch. He's talking about this food. He's talking again about symbols, not real food. They're like, wait a minute, who brought him lunch? And he's like, like, I'm not talking about real food. I'm talking about a different kind of food, a different kind of water, a different kind of source. And as he's having the discussion with his disciples, the woman comes and gets people from the village and brings them to the well to meet Jesus, to say, come and see. Come and see the one who knows everything that I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Come and see. And they did. They came and they saw. And they didn't just believe based off what she said. They believed because they saw and heard what he had to say. And they invited him to stay longer. And he did for two full days in this Samaritan town. In a place that Jews don't normally go. In a place that was outside of their comfort zone. A place where there was hostilities. He stayed two more days two more days. 
And it's the first time that you see in the Gospel of John that Jesus Christ is proclaimed the Savior of the world. And he's proclaimed Savior of the world not by the Jews and the people from where he came from. No, he was proclaimed Savior of the world by the outsiders, by the ones he wasn't supposed to interact with. The rest of the world, represented by Samaria, knew that he was the Savior of the world. And so because Jesus Christ broke social barriers and went against the custom or the custom norms of that time period, and so the same for the woman, as she broke normal barriers to engage this stranger man, they changed the world in that moment for the people in that village. Sometimes it takes stepping outside your comfort zone and sometimes breaking down barriers to change the world for Jesus. And so what does this mean for all of us today? I mean, we're not going to any type of well anytime soon, probably, unless Madison has another bowl of water alert. All right? So what does this mean? What can we learn? What, who do we see ourselves in this story? What is Jesus trying to tell us today in this engagement here? Well, first off, many of us may see ourselves as the woman at the well. Many of us may have this shame that we don't talk about that holds us back from witnessing for God and inviting others to participate in worship or to participate in the salvation that he offers. You see here, God knew what was going on with this woman. He knew her inside and out before she even said anything about having multiple husbands. He knew about the shame that was brought upon her for whatever reasons. He knew. But did he look at her and say, go and sin no more? Mm -mm. He didn't. He engaged her in a theological discussion, revealing to her the truth, giving her the message of the good news. And when she realized that he was going to engage her and respectfully have this conversation... She then went and took that experience down to the village and invited others to come and see. To come and see. She invited them to participate in this. To come and see the Savior of the world. It wasn't just because of what she said, but it was because of what she did in inviting them. And so some of us may see ourselves as the woman at the well. Where we feel like we have shame upon us where we can't do this. God can't use me. Or some of us might see ourselves as the disciples in this story. As the ones who are witnessing this engagement. Learning that the message of the gospel is not just for the people within inside the walls of the church. That this right here is not just for us who know the truth. This message is for the rest of the world. And we've got to share it. We've got to go beyond these walls, out into our community, out there on Old Canton Road, out there in the city of Madison, out there in Madison County, out there in the greater state of Mississippi, out there in the rest of the country, and out there in the world. Take this message that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he provides the real living water and the real food that will make you never go hungry or thirsty again. Take it to places that we don't even want to go, to people we don't even like. Like I said, the Jews and Samaritans really didn't like each other. But Jesus Christ called everybody to go to Samaria and beyond. And that's to the places you don't like. And so the message is something that is to be shared. And it is something to invite others to. And so if you see yourself as a disciple, you can pick up that we're to take this message out. 
to wherever God leads us, even to the places that we may not want to go. And with all of this, there's something we shouldn't forget. We shouldn't forget how abundant the love of God is. We shouldn't forget that no matter what we do, we can never mess up too bad for Him to ever stop loving us. That He always is reaching out and is always with us. Even though we may not hear Him, that's more on us and the circumstances that are going on in our life at that time. But He is there. And He may not fix things the way we want Him to, but He is still there loving us, providing us a path to Him through Jesus Christ. Providing that path not just for us, but to all of those that we come in contact with. And so sometimes we have to be reminded of that. That we are good enough to do this. That we are loved. And we are called to take this message out. So may we in the coming weeks, in the coming months, not forget this story. Everything that's put in the, in the Bible is there for a reason. And it's an important reason. And I believe this situation here, there's so much we can take from it. You can do three or four different sermons from this and go many different directions. But I feel like for us today and where we are, we are called to go and take out this message of Christ's love to others and to know that we are loved. And there's nothing that we can do to turn God's love away from us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful just to be here and worship, Lord. We are so thankful for Jesus Christ. And all that he has done. But Lord, we're thankful for this story in the Bible of the Samaritan woman in the well, Lord. May we allow that to speak into our lives in the coming days. May that give us the strength and courage to take your message out to others. To invite others to participate in the ministry, Lord. Together, in relationship. Just as the woman at the well was brought into relationship through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we ask of this and we give thanks for the Lord and died on the cross for our sins. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.